All right, here we are, live with Memory Tracks, episode number 36. And I'm looking here at my notes, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it's been since September 20th since I last recorded an episode, so I've been slacking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really happy to come back. I think this is going to be a really strong episode, and very excited um, to have my guest Lars Nielsen on. You can say hello. Hello there. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Uh, it, as... Uh, we kind of went back and forth on some different scheduling, and uh, I'm glad it finally worked out for us to sit here and, and chat. And I know you've had your songs picked out for probably a month and a half or so. Yeah, and, like. and, and the funny thing is, and I bet that your other guests have said this too, it's like you pick out your songs, and then you go back and you think, wow, um, <laughs> I should have chosen these songs instead. Yeah. So like at any given time, like if you had asked me, when you asked me this weeks ago, I was like, oh, great. Right. I'm going to think about this at lunch. Yeah. So I'm going to think about which songs it would be. And so those are the songs that I chose, you know, a month ago, basically. Right. Um, I was so excited about the idea. Um, but then, I don't know, this weekend I was like, maybe I should change out the songs because I listened to a different song and it took uh-huh. me down a different, you know, memory <laughs> track. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, and so you could ask me any day and I'd probably go back. And, yeah. You know, as you have covered in this podcast, I'm sure, like memories um, and music, it's sort of like, in the same way that a scent, uh, a smell will carry you away. Yeah, you know, music is the same, is the same kind of thing. And I have totally. as many, I have as many uh, musical memories as I have any other kinds of memories. Yeah, and sometimes many more because music's been such an important part of my life. Right, right. It's funny. Everyone always asks, "Well, when are you going to do yours? What are your three going to be?" And it's like I get to cheat because I've been thinking about mine for like over a year now, and we'll probably continue for another year before I finally get myself on. Um, but yeah, I, I love seeing the inner struggles of all the guests of which ones to pick. But I think it's cool because, like you said, you're, they change. But you know, hopefully, you know, your friends, your family, or whoever listens to this, and it becomes a bar conversation later or whatever, and you see where it goes and yeah. figure out figure out where it is. But you were, it, it was funny, I always tell guests, like, I, I prefer not to know the songs that they pick uh, until, like, 24 hours before. That way it doesn't give me too much time to, like, form my own bias about it and things like that. Um, and you sent yours in the email, but you, like, color-coded it so that I couldn't read the font because it was, like, white on white or something. Without, <laughs> so realize, without realizing the <laughs> Gmail was then going to take the links and append uh, them at the end so you'd clearly be able I to did, see that. I did catch a glimpse of, yeah, okay. like, YouTube things, yeah, but right. I was like, oh, no, don't, don't look, don't look. Um, so not, not too many spoils. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, before we jump in, you know, one of the things I wanted to say, one of the reasons why I am really excited about having you on um, is I've been in Austin, like, 12 years, I guess, and uh, some of my, like, some of my earliest memories of being in Austin and, um, you know, growing and learning more about different types of music <coughs> to look after and different things to go through and people and connections and things, um, you know, one of the earliest memories of Austin that really meant a lot and I think influenced me a lot was um, coming to Austin and discovering the Alba Draft House, and that was back on the old 4th Street days, and uh, I think it's like maybe sophomore year of college, one of my good friends, Aaron, was obsessed. Was like, you gotta go, you gotta go. I think at the time, like it was still kind of like a cool thing to do. And I went to UT, and mm-hmm. like not a lot of people still really knew mm-hmm. what it was all about. And so he was like, yeah, you gotta go to Terror Tuesday, you gotta go to Weird Wednesday, you gotta go to Music Monday. And that was back when it was either I think it was free, and then maybe it was a dollar or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would play at like midnight, maybe it was ridiculous, it was amazing. Music Monday would be at. 10 but then uh terror 
Terror Thursday and Weird yeah, Wednesday nice. would be at midnight. Yeah, um, and I'm like, so then when I, the, the way that we kind of connected was through um, my friend Rebecca, um, who was the, the infamous lost episode number 33 that no one will ever get to hear. That's sadly. the one that everybody talks about. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you two are good friends through the film community. Um, and when I went to see her uh, do the uh, Judy Garland show tribute night um, or presentation night, uh, you introduced and I was like, oh shit, that's Lars. <laughs> like Lars, I, you know, you programmed countless music Mondays and weird Wednesdays. And um, I think you did Terror Thursdays a lot as well. Mm -hmm. Some, and um, one of my like all time favorite draft house memories is I think it was, this was like the night it was a music Monday and it was the night that I had just found out that I had gotten my first job, like, like my offer from like graduating school. So I was hanging out with my friends, Andy, who's been on the podcast and Bryant and Josh. Um, and we're like, well, we got to go to music Monday. We're going to celebrate. And we looked up what was playing. And I guess like whatever was supposed to be playing had been canceled because something didn't work out where you guys couldn't get the, the rights to play it or the print got lost. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was supposed to be, you audibled and were like, tonight's going to be a rogue night. It's called That's Roguish. That's <laughs> Roguish. Yes. And so I, so that you could do it proper justice, how would you describe that night and the thought that went into that? Oh, no thought went into it. <laughs> I mean, I think, I, I can't, I mean, this is so long ago and there's been so much water <laughs> under the bridge, but yeah, yeah, it really was like a thing like on Monday where it was just like, I contacted the print <laughs> owner or something and was like, have I got the print yet? Where, where is it? And they were like, oh, uh, yeah, that print's not good. We can't play it. Or it was just some ridiculous last-minute thing where I had to just kind of go, oh, Jesus, I've, I've already, because it was a series with no budget. Right. I had already tapped all of my no-budget. No-budget budget, yeah. Uh, you know, ideas. <laughs> so, like, all the little things that I could have thrown in and played um, were sort of unavailable. And at the time, I had just started, like, a blog um, or a Tumblr or something called That's Roguish. <laughs> <clears throat> there's a whole cosmology to roguishness that's that really came from my friend patrick holmes um who would frequently use the term roguish and then my friend blake carlisle who owns end of an ear records um oh, nice, yeah. would say um dude that is so roguish to where he and i and zach carlson who also yeah. programmed for draft house right. started a little a blog that we would post roguish things on <laughs> And so, I, I don't know, I had this idea that maybe I could go through and find, like, um, you know, there's a super roguish um, Night Ranger video. I just wanted to communicate the idea of roguishness. And, and I was also just, like, you got to understand, man, it was like 60-hour weeks. So oh, it was, yeah. like, really, yeah. like, the idea for... Like, trying to throw you something just together to, last minute. You just, like, like get this over with. Like, good, rational thought. It just wasn't an option. So... I know it's not it's not one of my proudest moments, although honestly for um, moments to be ashamed of, it's one I'm, I'm I feel like I could be proud of that one. Well, I mean, I was going to say, like, I have insanely <laughs> fond memories of that night. And the so like I was trying to remember some of the videos and like one, I think, was American Woman. Guess who? Where they're like riding the motorcycle or the ATVs or something. Oh, yeah. Was it? Okay. Uh, maybe that's not the right song, but something with the guess who uh and then an emotions obsession where they're totally. like in egypt and stuff totally but the one that like truly changed the rest of my like i went down a very interesting youtube <laughs> path as did my group of friends 
was uh, Jim Dandy, Black Oak, Arkansas, yeah. oh, yeah. Hot and Nasty. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was like a live footage. And I forget, like you introduced it and we're like, you've never seen somebody play the washboard and look so damn rogue or something yeah, yeah. like that. And it was like, <laughs> I was not familiar with Black Oak, Arkansas. Why would you be? And, but then you find <laughs> out that like, David Lee Roth took like his entire act oh, from sure. Jim Dandy. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this video is incredible. Like these are just like some of the most backcountry Arkansas folk like playing just like. And they were like a prog rock band. They had like, uh, like <laughs> they had, what was their, they had an album that was like Mutants of the Monster. Oh my God. Which doesn't even make sense. No sense, yeah. But but they they did have like, they were, they're from Arkansas, but they had yeah. this whole sort of, and they were like a major label band, but yeah. they had this whole sort of cosmic um uh, structure of their ideas that yeah. was, it was they were really they're really interesting yeah but, but like, like on, on paper you're like what is this but then as you get deeper in you're like oh, there's, they're actually really trying something hard here yeah and he's so gross there's something so <laughs> gross about Jim Dandy there I remember we found one of the videos on YouTube and there was a comment on it and it was like an old groupie and they oh, were boy. like they said the quote was like I can tell you, back in my days, I met Jim Dandy, and he is hot and nasty or something like that. It's just like, oh, my God. Old Black Oak, Arkansas groupies coming out of the woodwork to comment on YouTube videos. But... You know, I got to say that uh, this makes me feel so happy that <laughs> that, that night, which I do, I do look back at and go, oh, why did I do that? No, it was so that, good. That, in fact, it did have these sort of repercussions. I think sometimes we're sort of hard on ourselves for our failings. Yeah, of course. Like last night I did, a, or not last night, but yeah, it was yesterday, actually, yesterday afternoon, geez. I went and did a, a panel, it was a science on screen panel for this mm -hmm. movie, Jane, that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I got home and I told my girlfriend, and I was like, yeah, I wasn't really my best. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as funny as I wanted to be. I just wasn't quite there. And she's like, you're the, you're the one, you're the only one that would notice right. that, you know? Right. Like I wasn't, I wasn't as, I wasn't on, I wasn't funny. The words weren't you know popping into my head yeah um but yeah i'm sure every for everybody else too like, that was can, perfectly yeah good. i mean like we all can connect in different ways and yeah. and i mean i and i'm not telling the story at a like i, I genuinely mean and my, my I, friends will be listening to this and will be dying like being like oh man but i and i actually multiple times contemplated like emailing the draft house and asking if they could do that night again like a roguish too so now that you're <laughs> now that you're working for Austin Film Society, maybe you need to pitch this to them um, so that I can uh, invite all my friends for a well, second. There's no, there's no pitching that goes on. It's just just as in those days, you just you know, I mean, a film programmer doesn't go into work and say, "I got this idea, guys. Let's do this." You, a film programmer, and this is our, this is both the blessing and you know the the sometimes downside yeah. is that you just go in and you do a thing and that was always the case at draft house i would just go in and do a thing and right. i mean my colleagues who were programming those nights also kayla janice and zach carlson we just did stuff and, yeah you know nobody was telling us don't do this um and that's still the case at, yeah. at you know afs which i really like i mean right Right. If I were to like go way over budget or screw things up or set the theater on fire, then that could be a problem. But... Yeah, but but <laughs> yeah, like you know so how to control that. Now. So things like that. It's not a matter of pitching a thing like that. Yeah, it it really would be sort of an internal pitching in the mind. Going, yeah. Should I do that? And yeah. then myself saying, No, no, no way. Abort. Way too difficult a concept <laughs> to explain. You can't even articulate it to yourself. Yeah. What roguish means? You just kind of know it when you see it. 
They work so well. I really but, do. But I'm so glad, and I, uh, I hope uh, Patrick Holmes and uh, and Blake Carlisle hear this. So they well, I'll, hey, I hope they do, and I hope they want to come on, because the, the more the merrier. Um, Blake would be the absolute best guest on this. Yeah? Because he, of all the people that I know who are just great storytellers, yeah. he has just so many, he's incredible taste in music, as yeah. you would know, because End of an Ear, for people era, who yeah. don't know it, it's just the greatest it's record store. Actually, my coaster over there is the End of an Ear thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then, uh, so End of an Ear is the greatest, and then he has just a billion great stories, and yeah. he just never seems to forget anything. Yeah. Um, and it's just funny stories, great stories, and then also he has all these stories about, like, he can tell you stories, like I went in and was buying like Bob Welch records, um, who was in Fleetwood Mac for like three albums? Yeah, and he was—he he, like knew all these crazy Bob Welch stories from reading like the autobiography of like Guns N' Roses like third <laughs> rhythm guitar player. So yeah, Blake is an incredible guest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we we will definitely have to. You have to help get me in touch with totally. Him. Like that. really, yeah. Um, well, I'm really excited to have you on uh, because of those connections and those memories and it's great to get to meet you in person and have a conversation and get to know you better um and it's also really awesome to hear that you're still doing awesome film work in Mm -hmm. austin and really contributing to that because for me i mean i think that uh like i said like this this is a big part of who austin is as a city as an identity and uh, i think you've helped shape that so kudos to you for doing that and um thanks for taking the time tonight to come on and ask my pleasure um, with that, shall we go to the first track? Yeah. All right. So this first one is by the legendary Donovan, and uh, the song is called Atlantis. of Atlantis was an island which lay before the great flood in the area we now call the Atlantic Ocean. So great an area of land that from her western shores those beautiful sailors journeyed to the south and the North Americas with ease in their ships with painted sails. To the east Africa was her neighbor across a short strait of sea miles. The great Egyptian age is but a remnant of the Atlantean culture. The antediluvian kings colonized the world. All the gods who play in the mythological dramas in all legends from all lands were from fair Atlantis. Knowing her fate, Atlantis sent out ships to all corners of the earth. On board were the twelve. The poet, the physician, the farmer, the scientist, the magician, and the other so-called gods of our legends. Though gods they were, and as the elders of our time choose to remain blind, let us rejoice and let us sing and dance and ring in the new. Hail Atlantis!
All right, that was Atlantis by Donovan. 1969, I think the record is Barabajagal. 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 Yeah, okay. there's a song on it. Goo, 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 goo. Barabajagal. Um, yeah, so that one's, uh, that's a record that I must have heard a bunch when I was, you know, a few years old. I mean, I was born after 69, but, you know, my parents must have had that record. Um, and then I didn't, um, I kind of chose that one because it, it says something to me about the way memory works. Yeah. Um, because I don't, when Goodfellas came out, which is, I think, 89, maybe 89 or 90, right. 90, I think. Um, when Goodfellas came out, I saw Goodfellas. And that song um, plays in a really important scene in that film. And I saw Goodfellas a few times in the theater when it came out. It was like a, it was, for me, it was like a big, big wow, moment for you. Yeah. Wow, this movie and the way it works and the way he cuts. It was like a big formative cinematic experience for me. Um, but that song plays and... I remember thinking, what is this song? Why do I, where do I know this song from? Yeah. I feel like I know this song from like six lives back. You know, I feel like I know this song. This song has been in my viscera for 600 years, you know, back to the time of Atlantis, you know, the actual time. Yeah. The mythology. Yeah. I mean, it felt that way and it all kind of comes together. And so like, um, all that, all of the, you know what the song's about is like this lost continent and you know it's about this period of time that's mysterious and sort of lost uh in the mists of you know past ages uh but for me like when i saw that movie and i heard the song which i don't think i'd heard since i was probably an infant yeah or a couple years old pre-verbal probably um it it took me back to a place where i didn't I couldn't really remember any sort of conscious way I can really constitute where I might have been yeah. when I heard it. I do remember seeing like Donovan's greatest hits like among my parents' albums. Right, right. So it, there must have been a time when I was one or two or something when probably my mom was playing that record a lot. Yeah. But it did, hearing that, you know, I, this isn't going to be the case with all three of the songs that I chose. Like I don't actually know what was happening when i was hearing this yeah i just know that it had become such a part of me that when i heard it um i recognized it just made sense um and i didn't know i'm sure i didn't know who donovan was i didn't know that there was rock and roll records i didn't know what a scotsman was i didn't know what a scots accent was i didn't know any of that kind of stuff yeah i just there's something about it that I think I, lo- I really liked at the time. I really liked that song. Yeah. Um, and I really, uh, hearing it in Goodfellas really took me to a... Remind a, me the scene in Goodfellas that it actually... I, I believe it's the scene where Billy Batts uh, gets killed and stomped to death in the bar. So uh, I could be... I haven't seen Goodfellas yeah, probably since 1990. It so it's, yeah. you know, it's been... Uh, yeah. But but yeah, I believe that's the scene where it happens in uh, Goodfellas. Yeah. It's weird to And think- I could be totally wrong. This could be like a, you know, crossed you know circuits of the mind i haven't gone back and watched goodfellas yeah since it came out so did you actually get the feeling that that kind of unlocked essentially like a subconscious memory pre-memory because of listening to it as a baby essentially well you know what it does is um you know sometimes you go back and you remember and you realize that some memory that you had had gotten hopelessly corrupted Mm. the file had been corrupted Mm -hmm. 
and like so the memory and you you know it's an important part of sort of I think becoming a responsible adult to realize that sometimes I'm wrong and yeah. I can be convinced I'm right uh, so it's kind of one of those things where it's like the very nature of memory and how memory works becomes a subject um, for us to think about and like the way that memory is not we're not computers you know memories aren't written and they're not digitally um, broken down into their component pieces um, our memories are continually sort of refreshing and becoming right. new all the time and so our memories actually the memories as we look back upon them are actually probably carbon copies of earlier memories yeah so for me it was really it kind of kind of like in, a, recycle in an that, aching yeah. In a way that was tinged with an aching sort of bittersweetness and nostalgia for my childhood, um, made me consider what memory means. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, um, sort of like, you know, as I'm sure everybody must make this analogy, that when there's like, if I were to smell pine needles, it mm -hmm. would take me back to my childhood in North Carolina. Um, and if I were to, but if I were to just continually have like an essential oil of like pine needles and sniff the essential oil of pine needles after a while um it would remind me of all those times i've cracked open the bottle of essential oil right yeah that. like numbs the memory so um something new. I, I don't go back and listen to that song yeah ever yeah um, I, I just don't ever make the choice to go back and listen to that song but yeah. part of that is that i i don't want to i don't want to wear out the original essence of the yeah, memory totally. you know it's sort of a special thing for me to Put on the headphones right now and listen to that yeah cool well so when you picked it just mm -hmm. out of curiosity when you mm -hmm. picked it for this um wh when was the last time you had heard it probably oh i don't know i mean uh, probably a few years ago yeah the album that it's on i think that's kind really, of a killer i really like when people pick tracks like that because mm -hmm. to me it says that you're, you've been very diligent in picking the songs that you want to hear uh and i think it could be fun to kind of like re-examine those associations to it yeah, I also didn't have like I didn't have any idea, which is probably abundantly clear. I didn't have any idea what I was going to say about it. Yeah, no, that's all. <laughs> now that you see me sort of like treading water verbally. Well, I mean, you basically had like the memory tracks <laughs> experience as a youth in the theater seeing Goodfellas for the first time. Yeah, no, you were really way did. ahead of this concept years ago. I really did, um, and I love that feeling. I love the feeling of sort of the bittersweetness of uh, of certain memories, you know, and of. And the the vividness mm. that that's a song that music, not just sounds but music, right? Um, or a smell, you know, can convey those memories to us totally. and come rushing well, it helps in. anchor it back. And I mean, when you actually put time to thinking about it, you're kind of it's kind of cool to think about what you're able to actually bring back in and, and focus around. But I do when I think about it, I do remember, and I don't even know if this is. Uh, I don't know if this is where I heard the song, but I think back to the living room of my childhood home and the stereo that was there. Mm -hmm. And I remember the color, it was like a wood grain. It had an eight track on yeah. it. Um, and then on the, t it was an eight track combo unit. It was all in one piece that had like a turntable. And there was like a little place for storage of like four or five eight track tapes. Yeah. And there was a Cat Stevens eight track and there was a, Gary Wright, Dreamweaver 8-track. Yes. And there was... Uh, the Donovan was an LP, I believe. There was a number of LPs, including like all of the original... Um, many of the original Beatles records, which nice. I remember looking back at the Magical Mystery Tour booklet, 
and it seemed there's so much to unbelievably yes. ancient to me. <laughs> Just it was that was so 67, I think. And I was probably looking at that. It was probably 1980 that I was pulling that out and looking at it. Right. So that would be like 13 years old. Right. And you think about something that's like 13 years old now, and it's from like what 2004. Yeah. yeah. That's like, wild. <laughs> 2004 doesn't seem that long ago. You know, th- like if I were to look at an album cover from 2004, I would just be like, okay, this, these fonts are a little played. But yeah. like I wouldn't look at it and it would look like it would feel like this ancient yeah, like Gutenberg Bible. Yeah, like this artifact or yeah. antique. Yeah. Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, but I see that with like old 60s TV yeah. too. It's like that was really, this, this show was like five years before I was born, but yeah. it like feels unbelievably ancient because film stock changed totally. and attitudes just it's very visible in that sense uh but yeah but yeah so i i do think back of that living room i think back to the carpet which is this like leopard skin like, like this sort <laughs> of like gray and black leopard type carpet so this is north carolina's right yeah okay. and i think back to the card table that was the two bookshelves that were just like completely full of books crammed every which way the card table that was set up by the television with even more books on top of it, just crammed up entirely. Just so many, so many, so many books. Yeah. Um, and we were very poor, but my parents would buy me whenever, they never said no to buying a book. Like, they probably said no to themselves in a million different ways over everything. But, like, yeah. anytime I wanted a book, they would buy it for me. And, you know, they could buy me $12 books or whatever, which were expensive books at the time. And they would just, there was no question that I would have any book that I wanted. Uh, which I'm so grateful to. Yeah, but that's, that seems like a really important priority that you're fortunate to have had that. Yeah. And been curious enough to take advantage of. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember winning. Uh, this is, uh, I'm not bragging about this because it would be a pathetic thing to brag about it 40 years distance. But like, I remember winning like reading contests. We'd have reading contests at school tied in with a scholastic bookmobile. Yes. And I would win the, always win the reading contest. Yeah. And get free books. Oh, I remember those like little scholastic book fair pamphlets. Oh, yeah. They were like that really thin paper, like six pages. And they'd give it to you a week before it came. So you'd yeah. go beg your parents for money. For <laughs> yeah. And then uh, there'd be Dynamite. This might be before your time, but there was a magazine called Dynamite. There was a magazine called Bananas. These I, were like I the sort of humor yeah. slash celebrity yeah. uh, interest magazines. They were in very thick paper. Frequently they have like cutouts. So yeah. It's so... You know, I haven't thought about most of this stuff in a yeah. million years. Well, it's but cool, but thinking just... back to that song makes me sort of picture that living room, yeah. makes me picture that stereo, makes me picture what's next to the stereo. Yeah. One of the things in kind of digging up around the song too that I I didn't had never heard, but I can't help but listen to it when we're listening to it. And be like, I wonder, is the long time rumor that Paul McCartney sang backup vocals on it? Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, and apparently, like. There's been like multiple books written about Beatles recording sessions, and two of the three men- make mention of Paul being in studio with Donovan and singing the backup vocals. And then I guess in like 2008, Donovan came out and said that wasn't true, mm. and Paul didn't record it. He's mm-hmm. not listed in the credits or anything. Um, but it also like you listen to it, you're like, yeah, sh- it does sound kind of like mm. Paul's voices in the mix there. I don't know, um, but I thought that was kind of cool, especially with the Beatles tie. But I mean, obviously, Donovan was good friends with all them, so it's not completely illogical that that could have happened. I think it's Jeff Beck group playing on that record. Oh, really? Okay. Um, nice. So, it would, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising. Like, yeah. this, you know, <laughs> England's a pretty small country. Yeah. yeah. I think they re-recorded that track. Or Donovan did mm-hmm. for uh, 
that Disney movie, Atlantis. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Cool. Which was not a good Disney movie, but... Haven't seen it. <laughs> I missed that one. Yeah. I'm sure I'll catch up with that at some it point. It was kind of in that awkward phase <laughs> when, like, Pixar was not owned by Disney and was yeah. like destroying them in every category and yeah. Disney's films were just like happy mill toys basically and that was it. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, I guess we can uh, should we move on to the next song? Yeah, sure. All right. Boy, oh boy, this is a very different song. This yes, song. this is a this is definitely a different one and one I'm excited to hear you talk about. But it's uh, by the band Royal Trucks and the song is called Turn of the Century. Cause they're my 
Alright, that was Turn of the Century by Royal Trucks, with a UX at the end, which is a band that I, I didn't really know mm -hmm. until this past, was it this past South by Southwest that they, I think so, mm -hmm. they came and played a show at Hotel Vegas for one of the Drag City showcases or something, and I got a chance to see them, it was, it was cool, so I, I need to listen more, but it's cool to hear, mm -hmm. hear the track, but tell me, uh, tell me why you picked it. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, just kind of ranging back over. I wanted to have sort of three different parts of my life and ranging back over my life. And this is, uh, 
you know, sometimes there's like the album of the summer for you. And yeah. you're just like, you're, you know, oh, this album of the it summer. It's at the right time, the right place. And yeah, this is going to be the album of the summer. summer. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the album of the summer for me for maybe like a year. <laughs> you know, it was like... <laughs> Very long It summer. was just like... <laughs> An endless um, summer. I had... Uh, I had bought, the first thing I ever heard by them was their single Red Tiger and Lawman, which is a cover of like a Jefferson Airplane song. Um, and then... I bought their, one of their, they have two self-titled albums, which is an idea of this. That's sort of the perversity. <laughs> that's an example of the perversity of this band. That whole montage, um, yeah. But yeah, like their, their self-titled album is the one with the black and white cover that has like strawberry soda on it and um, all these great songs. Yeah. But um, they came into my life probably when I was 20 or so and I was playing music and I was not a, um, I was not a virtuoso. I quit my guitar lessons after I was just like, okay, I got it. Yeah. You know, I had taken you know, guitar lessons riffs, for so. six months or something. I was just like, okay, yeah, no, I don't need to learn how to play Camptown Races. You know, I, I think I got it. I learned the scales <laughs> now and I got ones. it. Yeah. So um, I, I learned expanded pentatonic scale. And that's, I think I, I, I that can get you bend pretty far. Yeah. And uh, so um, I wasn't a virtuoso musician, but I had a lot of. Uh, you know, I had a lot of enthusiasm for playing music. And so did they, you know, like probably for like the same way that like a lot of people heard the Velvet Underground or they heard the Ramones and it was kind of like, yeah, this is, this harmonizes with my being. Like I heard Royal Trucks and that really, in a metaphysical kind of way, harmonized with where I was. There mm. couldn't have been more perfect, the band that like spoke to me. Um, musically, in the content of their lyrics, which are just great. <laughs> like their lyrics all up and down the board with Royal Trucks are just wonderful lyrics i read an interview with them one time where i think it was jennifer harima said uh or it might have been neil haggerty but somebody said so what kind of how would you describe your music she goes hard rock acid rock with good lyrics <laughs> and it's like to listen to that music and like that the, they would be so reductive to say hard rock acid rock with good lyrics it's like that's so perfect and that's is. so perfect as far as like what they would say you yeah know? so i don't know um, for me, it was like their attitude, which was kind of, um, it wasn't like the sort of posing cool. It was like they were actually kind of cool. Yeah. Like I'm really, I'm really over being cool, you know, right. like it's really important to, I think all of us as we're trying to find our place in life to feel cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm really over like, I'm really over the sort of cool nerd scale, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense to me. But Royal Trucks, you know, for all the things that people think of as nerds, which is now just a completely celebrated word. There's no yeah. tinge of um, any kind of stigma to the word nerd. But for everything Royal Trucks were, they were like obviously super studious. You know, they were probably drug addicts in some way. Um, they had a really bad heroin. They were open about it. But, yeah, but yeah. it was all, yeah. But also they were also kind of like the heroin band and it was kind yeah. of mysterious, but yeah. it wasn't, I don't know. It's. I they think they were, I think they regretted some of the some yeah. of that being kind of their image. But anyway, like um but yeah, like for being over being cool, which I was by the time I was 20, I was just I'm just over like living on the scale. Right. Um and paradoxically, you know, Royal Trucks were over being cool, but they're also like super cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's like we're both attracted well, I'm attracted to the idea of just being of being through being cool, but also really attracted to the idea of being cool. Um and it's just kind of where they were coming from, like I know you're just a kid. Doesn't matter what you did up till now. Like for me at that time, like 
that I was listening to this, I had just moved from North Carolina to San Francisco in '93. Mm. Okay. And so and San you're Francisco. In your early 20s. Yeah, I was like 21. Yeah. You know? And so at the time, it really felt like um, I was ready to reinvent myself, get out of this like dumb old town. Yeah. You know, start the next part of my life where I'm like roaming the world, touring, you know, whatever I'm doing. Yeah. And so um, I, one of my memories of this, because I do have really clear memories, it's not just that it takes me out of the t- time period. I would walk, you know, everywhere in San Francisco or take the Muni train or take the bar train or whatever. Right. But, um, was walking to work where I worked at Kinko's on Market Street and I lived at 21st and South Van Ness. So mm-hmm. I would walk through the mission mm-hmm. to get to work. So I go and Jeez, t- how long is that walk? It's going to be like no. 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Maybe. Maybe like do you have to go through the tender album side? No, no was, <laughs> this was like Market and Castro. Oh, okay. It was like, okay. it was close. So I would just walk over, like walk up uh, mission and cross over like 16th, go up Dolores. Yeah. Um, so walking up Dolores, my memory of this is walking up Dolores Street, and it was a beautiful sunny day. And there's re- like there's real beautiful sunny days in yeah. San Francisco, man. Yeah. Uh, and it was cool and crisp as it often is in San Francisco. And I was walking past housing projects because there's Dolores projects. Right. San Francisco has project like housing projects in every neighborhood, like yeah. even in like Pacific Heights. But I'm walking past the projects like on my way to work, and I just remember just listening to this. Uh, listening to that Cats and Dogs album, yeah. my cassette tape on my Walkman, on shitty headphones, um, the shitty kind of like, uh, <laughs> like the headphones with like foam, that the foam would always wear out. Oh you yeah, to get new headphones. Yeah, it's like the kind that they give you on airplanes now for free. <laughs> yeah, but even like worse, like it'd just be like little foam, little pom poms on your ears, um, and you know you'd have to go buy new ones, and it was like right. three bucks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like listening to those shitty headphones, walking to work one morning. I don't know why this is a thing that I remember, but yeah, I remember just walking down the street, walking down the sidewalk past Dolores projects on my way to work. And I don't know why that's so vivid. Uh, I have a million memories like that. I have a million yeah. memories of driving past this while I listen to this. I have a million memories of like walking along, listening to this. a million memories of sitting in my, sitting this or that apartment, listening yeah. to that one particular album. I don't know why like but that, that so sticks with me, but that course, walk. Yeah. And then I remember another walk, and this tells you how long it happened. In 94, like I lived in San Francisco for like a year. In 94, I moved to New York, and I remember at that point, I was working at, um, I had two jobs. I was working at the Strand Bookstore, mm-hmm. and then I would go and do work door at Knitting Factory, which was on Houston yeah. Street in those yeah. days, um, before I moved to Brooklyn. Right. And so I remember walking down Broadway from the Strand, which is like what? 11th, 9th or uh, 11th or so, 12th maybe, and Broadway down to Houston Street to go work there. But I remember just walking down Broadway. You start walking down South Broadway, it started getting sketchy, and I was headphones on, listening to, I just listening to Turn of the Century, you know, and feeling like, I remember on that walk, and this is 1994, I mean, this is a billion years ago, but I remember that walk, and I remember thinking, uh, oh yeah, I I remember on that walk, thinking back and remembering my walk, past Dolores projects and thinking, oh yeah, that's, I would, you know, I was so much older than, you know, I'm younger than that now. Just like this whole like sort of feeling of like looking back, it's like, can you believe that's the same guy? You know, <laughs> it's like just the, like looking back upon my, the naivete of myself a year earlier, right, you know? Right. So yeah. you can imagine the sort of telescope yeah. idea of the very same <laughs> thing that I think now listening back to it. But you know, like I, you know, that's it's good, you know. Yeah. I'm, it's 
good you know, to be reflective. Like, uh, no, it's also it's like good music. You know, yeah. it's like it's not like uh, like I can go back and look back and hear like yeah, you know, this is uh, I was I'm proud I was at this place in my life where yeah. I recognized the value of this music. You know, yeah. it wasn't like everybody in the world was like Royal Trucks number one. You know, it was not. You know, it was like <laughs> I they they spoke to me in a way that like, you know, I don't think they were. Nobody liked Royal Trucks. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I mean, kind of weird looking back and everybody's like, oh, yeah, Royal Trucks. Yeah, man, I'm really into Royal Trucks. It's kind of weird to look back and like, realize yeah, but nobody, was, nobody, into was. nobody <laughs> was into Royal Trucks in 1993, you know. Yeah. It's kind of funny. It's funny you talk about, like, listening and connecting with music through, like, your, the routine of the walk and things mm-hmm. like that. Living in San Francisco for a year, New York, and, and then now being in Austin for as long as you've been in Austin. Um uh, something I think about a lot as far as this, I mean, I like Austin. I'm, I'm very happy here, but I have always had that like urge to live in a city like in New York or something like that for, I mean, that to me is always one of the really big appealing things yeah. is like walking is an activity in and of itself and it's meditative and it's explorational and it connects you with people that you might otherwise never have an interaction with. It's true. Uh, and we don't necessarily get that here because even though Austin's not big, it's not really a walkable city. I mean, it could be, but it's too damn hot. And there's not really that many, there's not enough interesting interaction points across those walks to make any of those worthwhile. It's not built on a walkable scale. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you ever think about that as far as like... Oh, uh, yeah. I sometimes have dreams. Miss, missing I have, that? I have dreams about San Francisco or New York. Yeah. yeah. It's... Um, for everything that's good about Austin, and there's so many good things about it, you know, yeah. it's not a it's not a city city on that kind of scale and right you know, maybe it will be maybe in parts of it it is you know there might be it might be possible that if you live you know in on east 6th street right now that you yeah. really are able to cover most of your needs by walking yeah it's a dream to be able to just not have a car to be able to yeah. walk from place to place yeah for a lot of those people are really living the dream because they don't actually have to have a job <laughs> you know they don't actually have to like really <laughs> right. do anything right so that's really is kind of like a, a dream of um, yeah. a dream of freedom, yeah. uh, which I I've never I've never, <laughs> never been in that boat. That yeah. But that you know, it is it is so wonderful to be able to just walk places. Yeah, and to, you know, we're lucky as men that we can also just walk feel the freedom to walk places right. at night without really having to give it that many second thoughts. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a different experience for women to think like, yeah. oh, walking every place. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I think I'm a six foot four big man. I think that's a wonderful thing to do, you know, to yeah. walk every place. Yeah, that's a good point, especially yeah. think, talking about like the yeah. experience of listening to music. You've got to be aware. So, yeah, not wearing headphones late at night. That's the... I, had a, I had some headphones. <laughs> a, a guy tried to rob me uh, in San Francisco and oh, he God. stole my headphones. Damn, were they the shitty foam ones or were they nice? Yeah, they were the shitty foam ones, but it still was quite an inconvenience. But like, uh, I was... It's like, hey, I was listening to that. I missed the bus. I missed the muni bus to go. My girlfriend was a stripper at the time. Yeah. And so I worked uh, on Market Street at that Kinko's and I would go pick her up at work. She worked at a club called Centerfolds on Montgomery and Broadway, which is, if you know San Francisco, it's quite a long way away. Mm So I would usually catch the bus down Market Street and get off at Market in Montgomery and walk up, um, which is still quite a, quite a hike. But I, some, I missed the bus or something, so I just went walking down Market Street to go walking up to Montgomery. And then you have to walk past the sort of beginnings of the Tenderloin there. Mm. Uh, and a guy came up to me and he said, what are you listening to, man? What are you listening to? What are you listening? Let me hear. Let me hear. And he reaches out to grab my headphones. He takes the headphones, and I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> 
no. I reached down and like he starts to grab me. He's like, give me that. And he reached down. I reached up, pulled out my knife. And I pulled my knife and sort of brandished my knife at him. He's like, what, are you going to stab me, man? you stab me with that knife? And I was like, fuck, am I going to stab him with this knife? I don't know what I'm going to do, actually. That's a really good question. I hadn't really... Yeah, I thought you were like, hoping that the, the sign would be enough for him. Yeah, to he was like off. totally like calling my bluff, you know, oh, with a knife. So like, I just like let go of the headphones, you know, knife in my hand. I just took off running, which, yeah. is, which is actually a strategy I really recommend. Yeah, I was in say, situations like that, it's like running. Smart. It's if, like, the, if the initial knife brandishing didn't work, I, I had a really <laughs> scary looking knife. Yeah, and I figured that's it. This guy's like. Yeah. He's done, but now yeah. he, he's seen worse. No, he was just like, oh, what, are you going to stab me with that knife? <laughs> like, he really, he was ready for that interaction, yeah. and I wasn't. Oh, man, that's... Walkman memories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, good old Walkmans. The skipping, man. It's people, like, to think <laughs> that kids will never have to experience that. Have the CD skipping and scratching. And the oh, this wasn't CD. This was this cassette, was tape, cassette yeah. This was cassettes. CDs were like that was a whole other world that was like fancy I didn't own a CD player yet I don't think I owned a CD player for years after that oh yeah nice should we go to the uh, the final track sure let's do it alright alright so this last one is by a band that we should all know and love it's called The Beach Boys and the song is Darlin here we go So that was Darlin by the Beach Boys. And it's funny that you picked that because in talking to it um, or in, in looking into, you know, the story behind it, um, earlier you were mentioning your friend uh, using the, the term roguish mm-hmm. to describe things. 
And the story behind this song, the reason why it's called Darling, because it wasn't originally, they changed the name later, but it was written for um, Three Dog Night, who they were good friends, Brian Wilson and Carl Wilson and all those guys were good friends with Danny Hutton. And apparently an expression that he used a lot was he just called everybody darling. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like the origin of that, which is, you know, it's an earlier formation of roguish. So uh, in some ways, but yeah, so I thought that was kind of, kind of a funny connection there because you were going through that. Yeah. I didn't know any of the history of the song. It's a great song. It's just fun. It's It's too short. It fades out. I know. It does one of those things where it's all these old, like, you know, classic late '60s like pop songs. Is they were like built for, cut it to a 45 mm-hmm. radio play, and three minutes is long enough. That's got to be like let's got to be like two and a half minutes or something. Oh that's yeah, so short. yeah, two fifteen is the time. It's two fifteen. Yeah, that's not long enough. <laughs> no, I'd yeah. like to register. Give a us like a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian Wilson's still out there, so you can send it to him. Well, that's more of a. I, I, did Brian write that one? He did. Yeah. He co-wrote yeah, that with Carl. He's not. I don't think he plays. Well, no, I don't think Carl. Even, I think it was Michael Love and Brian Wilson. Michael Love and Brian Wilson. Carl okay. sings. On Carl it. sings it. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. I always think of it as a Carl song, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, he like his voice is awesome. I love his. So I love perfect. the way he sings on that whole wild. Hunt. Um, when I listen to Carl singing, it's some. It's really my favorite Beach Boys stuff. I, like I, I know that everybody. We're all supposed to just love Pet Sounds so much, um, and even like Smile and the Smile Sessions and all that. And yeah. I like all that stuff. It's fine. But like, what's the stuff that really reaches me? What's the stuff that I really want to re-listen to? What are the things that actually end up on the turntable? It's like, it's Wild Honey. Um, that's the Beach Boys. Wild Honey, and I got to say like Holland. And like even like some of the stuff um, that doesn't have Brian on it at all. Um, that's some of my favorite stuff. And it's nothing against Brian. It's just that um, it's, really, it's really important like who's singing the song. Yeah. That's not a small matter. Yeah. And what Carl does with the song is something I think is... He just connects stronger. Connects too. with me. Yeah. yeah. But that album, um, that whole Wild Honey album, which Darlin is on, and I could have chosen any number of songs off that album because it's ultimately it's kind of like the album. Yeah, yeah. Rather that, that, than I definitely song. get guests that say that too, yeah. where it's like it's more of an album memory, but they just pick their favorite song from the record. Yeah. But, but for me, and I have a long history with Wild Honey, but, um, but it is... Uh, at a really important time in my life, which was really painful, difficult, but also really hopeful time in my life. Um, it was there. It was something I listened to a lot. And it also um, was, in a lot of ways, it was the soundtrack of the drama of my life. It was mm. a soundtrack of uh, a love in my life. And it was a soundtrack. Um, it was literally an album that I gave. Um, my Okay. So just to kind of go through the story. So yeah. I had a, uh, a relationship uh, where I was with a woman. It was the same woman I was with in San Francisco and mm-hmm. in New York. And she and I were together for many years, something like 14, 16, maybe 16 years wow. for a long time. And it really went sideways, like five years or so before it ended. And it was really tough. And, uh, you know, it was in a way it was sort of like I was... A caregiver in mm-hmm. a way um, it, it seemed to me I mean it was just we should have just ended that relationship a long time ago but it, we just kind of kept it going right I mean you had and, invested so many years it's always hard to and I had, to a, sense, to I had a clear sense of sort of obligation yeah. you know I had a sense that I really needed to be there and follow through and neither of us were happy and it was just really terrible 
Yeah. Uh, it's just it's not a good place for either party in that situation. Fights all the time, yeah. you know, and it was, there were a certain number of obligations that I felt like I had and imaginary obligations. And yeah. Anyway, it was, it was tough to get out of it. And then it was very, um, and then she sued me for divorce, even though we weren't married. And it was just a whole, oh, yeah, just like a nasty, really vindictive, nasty. Yeah. you know, wind up to the whole thing. But uh, coming out of a thing like that, like you're in a very tough place, you know, you're, um, and uh, so I moved out. I got my own apartment. I had to like, hide you know basically so you couldn't find me yeah and it was very difficult um and instruct everybody at work you know not to let her in she was banned she ended up being banned from my work because of oh, like gosh. scenes that she put on like I, I stopped hosting shows for a while and she showed up at the theater and you know was kicked out and arrested oh my god i mean it was Wait, just was a, this in austin this yeah oh, geez this was like i don't think i was at any of this in 2009 or 2010 you know Yikes. it was 2009 um yeah, I mean, it was a really bad scene. Yeah. But, um, and then during that period, like, I went and moved into my own apartment, and I was just like, hey, I'll, I guess I'll drink a lot, and mm. I guess I'll just, like, escape, and I'll smoke all this weed, and I'll just, like... Kind of retreat. Yeah, like, uh, you know, it's it a time when I absolutely should have gone and gotten care. You know, I should have gone and talked to somebody, but I was just like, I'll just get through it with the same way I always have. You know, I'll, I'll listen to music and i'll you know live my life and i'll read my books and i'll you know escape in all these same kinds of ways but also i don't just escape i also just feel like i kind of find use these tools to sort of find my way right maybe i did maybe i didn't i i'm here you know yeah. i didn't die you yeah. know but during the during that course you know i was kind of like well this is me i'm not going to be in a relationship at all um but then uh uh, I just we kept thinking about this woman I knew, um, and about like I wonder if she'd ever want to go out. I, I wonder, and just finally screwed up the courage to Actually call a mutual it, friend. Right? No, I didn't. Oh. Know, I didn't screw up that much <laughs> courage. What are you crazy? Method, yeah. <laughs> that much courage? No, I, I screwed up the courage to sort of uh, sneak around and ask her friend, like, what's the deal? Would she be interested? Is yeah. She does she in a relationship? I, I, you know, and uh, her friend was like, let me find out. And she was like, no, she does have a boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There. yeah. But so. I think he's maybe out of town or something. I think, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> and uh, like eventually, like I was just like, I don't know what to do. I just got to. So anyway, it, it's probably a story that, you know, it's not the it's not the most interesting story ever told. But well, there's one that we can certainly all relate. To. Yeah. <laughs> eventually, like uh, I found my way to just ask her for coffee yeah. and to talk about of stuff. And, of course. Uh, I gave her, um, I gave her a few albums. I gave her the Sandy Bull, a Sandy Bull album on Vanguard. It's the one I think. Um, it's one of those Sandy Bull. I can't remember what the title of it is. I gave her a Sandy Bull album that I like a lot. The ones with Blend on it, the two blends. Okay. Do you know those I don't Vanguard know. Yeah, not, Sandy Bull familiar. albums? And then I gave her a Mimi and Richard Farina, uh, Reflections of a Great Day album, uh, and then I gave her uh, a CD that had both. Um, uh, wild honey and smile on it nice yeah and yeah that was the one that really sort of broke through where she loved yeah, she it connected with that. she loved wild honey and so i loved wild honey and it yeah. was like to me it was like that was right from my heart all yeah. these two records i gave from my yeah. heart and um i think 
that that helped, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I think that that sort of thawed her heart out a little bit to me to see where I was coming from. And, you know, she thought that I was gruff or um, impatient or something. Mm -hmm. And I think that she it showed her another side of me that was not um, not this impression that she had of me as being kind of a somewhat. Um, I don't know, like an un unapproachable person. Hmm. So, uh, and at that point I listened to that record a lot too. So it meant a lot to me, like the, the line, I was living like half a man, then I couldn't live, but now I can't. I'm like, my God, like that's, that, that was it, right yeah. at that moment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's probably that those two lines are probably why I chose that song yeah. because it really exemplified so much of like that period of my life. Um, and that became like a really important, I remember going to like a work party of hers and we got loaded and, you know, asked the DJ to play. Uh, I think we asked the DJ, I asked to snuck over and asked the DJ to play the song Wild Honey from this album and yeah. we danced like, I, oh, I was so dancing, fun, yeah. if you can imagine. <laughs> so I must've been so loaded. That was a good connection though. But yeah, it was like, it meant so much, it meant so much. That album meant and still does mean so much yeah. to us. I don't like put it on now, but I listen to it and I think about, you know, we're together, you know, we've been together now for eight years or seven years or whatever. And yeah. we've, we're together and I'm going to go, when I leave here, I'm looking forward to going and seeing yeah, her, you know? Yeah. And so it's like that for me, it's like, it is such, that song is such a, a slice of happiness and sunshine and love. Yeah. Um, and I don't listen to it that much for that reason, probably, because I don't want to. I don't want to like. I don't want to dull the impact. Yeah. I've had so many instances of like, uh, I call it the Velvet Underground and Nico syndrome, like where you know a, an album just becomes. You listen to it so much yeah, and it that it becomes over. transparent to your ears. You right. can't hear it anymore, and I never want that to happen with Wild Honey. Yeah, you got to be careful. Yeah, you definitely have to be careful. Uh, that could have happened. That that did happen with Cats and Dogs, that Royal Trucks album, to where yeah. I couldn't hear it anymore, but now I can, which is great. I think yeah, if you let enough time pass, then yeah. it kind of rejuvenates itself without yeah. being too obnoxious. But what do you have transparent albums? Uh, I would say, I don't think I, I have transparent songs. Yeah, in the sense you just of can't hear them I anymore. I just loved, and you just move past like. It's not that I, I still appreciate the song, but like I don't ever want to hear it again. Like. Where I listened to Velvet Underground and Nico so much as a teenager that I couldn't hear it anymore. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't, it didn't make any impact anymore because I just heard it so many times. And yeah. I can still like, I could play through that whole album in my head. Right. I could just run it right I've now. I've definitely had brain. albums where it's like, I could feel that point approaching. So I cut myself off. Yeah. So like uh, Titus Andronicus is the monitor was yeah. a record that I just listened to for like six months straight as my driving record and yeah. I take a driving trip and I had to cut myself off. So now I, I go back to it a couple times a year and it's still hits hard. But. Yeah. I did that with uh flying burrito brothers. I did that. Nice. Um, I'm trying to think of all the things I've done that with. <laughs> I probably, I probably did that a little bit with, uh, with, uh, Gene Clark, uh, Gene Clark and the Gosden brothers record. Mm. I think I've listened to that so much that I can't quite hear it right now. So yeah. I have to, I'm in a recharge zone on that one. Yeah. So, um, it's it's fun because yeah I, I think you really teed up like the three different angles that you could take with that mm -hmm. and i thought that was that was really cool to share i'm curious because uh, you're obviously you're very thoughtful about how you took the prompt and you're such a film buff as well um and film is obviously a big piece of your your life and your passion D 
do you find that you can connect in similar ways to film as what you would with music or do they serve two different purposes or is there such a thing as a, a memory films or certain scenes or uh, even dialogues that, that occur back in film that take you back to certain things in your life? Yeah, I can, I think I always remember where I was when I saw a film. Yeah. You know, I mean, like if I am rewatching a film, I know where I was um, at other times of seeing that film. So yeah. um, one of my favorite films, Ball of Fire, the Howard Hawks movie. Have you seen it? Mm -mm. Barbara Stanwyck and Gary Cooper. Um, yeah, that's a movie that I've seen so many times. And I remember going back and um, I remember the first time watching it in my old living room, um, sitting and watching that film. And I remember dubbing a dubbing from one uh, VHS tape to another so I could own a copy of it. Watching it, you know, many times on that yeah. dubbed VHS tape. I remember it played at the Austin Cinematheque which was a thing that was happening on campus at one point. I remember going and watching that. Um, it was the first time I ever saw it on the big screen. Uh, and it was at the... Um, at the was it at Adobe or...? No, it was at the Student Auditorium oh, in on the, campus. Oh, in the Union. Like in the Texas Union. Is, yeah, and it was kind of unbelievably there. echoey in there, and you couldn't <laughs> hear anything. Just uh, not an ideal thing. It was great to see. It was great <laughs> to have a chance to see it, and I knew every line of it, yeah. but like if I hadn't known every line of it, I would probably be losing some yeah, of it. Right. And then uh, I did a Stamic series a couple of years ago and showed it. And, you know, I've watched it. I watched it a few months ago. Yeah. You know, I watched it. And every time I watch it, I look for... There's just little facets of uh, Stanwyck's performance and of Cooper's performance that I, you know, that I watch for and remember. It's just, it's so, she's so unbelievable. She's yeah. so good at acting and she's so, she understands her gift so well. She has this incredible ability to understand the effects that she's producing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. You should see that movie. It's yeah, and I wrote good. it down. I'm definitely. Billy Wilder wrote it too, so it's like it's it's directed by Hawks. It's Billy Wilder wrote it, and then it's Stanwyck, man. It's just she's incredible. It's awesome. You say you have your own podcast as well, right? Yeah, like I'll do the AFSU Funders podcast. Okay. I mean, in a, you know, as a film, when you're a film programmer, like you're hustling, like you're hustling to Always, program right. things, you're hustling to promote what you want. You don't just like. A film programmer doesn't just sit behind a desk and say this, this, and this. Like, yeah. there's this sort of all the work of like, first of all, all, of like, channels. yeah, like deciding what to show, figuring out how you can do it. Then the mechanical work of like finding the prints or booking the prints. But then there's the, the sort of promotional angle. Like, you don't just say, okay, promotional guys, marketing guys, market it. Um, like, you create the assets, you create like all of that. So yeah. the po the podcast that I do is really an adjunct to, to that. It's like gotcha. I want to program this. I just got to figure out how to make people have an interest in it so yeah. um it's not only just the films but it's also i gotta i gotta make people interested in this type of yeah kind of film what you go into and yeah, what, make, you, what you expect coming out of it i'm also trying to sort of develop film culture a particular kind of film culture yeah. and to propagate a particular kind of film culture yeah. and so that's what i do with the podcast that's and cool. sometimes like recently i've been so busy with our new theater opening that like if you look back at our podcast it's kind of like Here's what's coming up in November, the podcast. Yeah. Which is a little dull, frankly. Yeah, but, well. um, but yeah, like that's... In the, in the past, I've done many, many more sort of like reflective, yeah. um, long discussions. Yeah. What, uh, what film did you see most recently that you're super excited about? That I've seen most recently? Yeah. Um, I watched a couple of movies yesterday. Let's, 
Um, but a movie I've now seen a couple of times because I saw it in Toronto and then I also saw it um, yesterday again is the movie Jane, which is about Jane Goodall. It's a documentary. It's, uh, you know, in many ways it's, you know, a nature documentary, yeah. but it's also footage that's been rediscovered from 50 years ago of like many, many, many hours of footage that was shot in the jungle mm -hmm. of the naturalists or the primatologists, Jane Goodall, um, and the field work that she did with chimpanzees, mm -hmm. um, which was filmed by uh, the National Geographic photographer who was assigned to the to the um, to document the expedition and who eventually they fell in love and got married. So it's um, it's beautiful, poetic footage yeah. about a remarkable primate named Jane, Jane Goodall and these other remarkable primates who are these chimpanzee, yeah. this chimpanzee colony yeah. that she made uh, contact with. Yeah. It's fascinating. And then it's scored by Philip Glass. It's, it's, oh, it's a cool. beautiful, yeah. it's wow. a beautiful film. And still playing at AFS for a few weeks. Yeah. Okay. Probably, uh, it'll be gone by the time people hear this, but I don't know. How no, I mean, I, I don't yeah. do much editing, yeah, so it'll be out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I don't do a, I, you know, I don't, I'm not really counting on this to reach the sort of broad well, audience. I'm making more of a note for myself yeah. because I would love to. <laughs> I would love to see it. So it yeah, it's really real cool. good. And I and uh, I watch uh, I watch a lot of old movies. I really like uh, movies of the 30s and 40s. Yeah, well, I have a lot to learn from someone of your level of interest. So mm -hmm. it's 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 a real pleasure to connect. Well, you can keep connecting uh, at the AFS Cinema where yeah, program many great. many film series. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I think that's basically a wrap for us today. But uh, really appreciate you coming on, and uh, hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Yeah, it's fun to talk. All right. Until next time, memory tricks. Thanks.